18, Proverbs chapter 18. The text reads like this. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. When wickedness comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes disgrace. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. It is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the righteous of the justice. And a fool's, lip, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin and his lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his, and like a high wall in his imagination. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear? An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him, and brings him before the great. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. The lot puts an end to quarrels and decides between powerful contenders. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is, is like the bars of a castle. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The poor use entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Amen. We live in the most connected and lonely age in history. A recent Gallup, uh, Meta Gallup survey was uh, conducted and it found that about one quarter of the world's population feels lonely. Uh, it was a survey that was conducted across 142 countries and it found that 24% of people over the age of 15 feel somewhere between fairly and very lonely, which ironically means if you do feel lonely, you're actually in good company, as, as someone put it. 
Well, tonight I want to speak from Proverbs 18, verse 24, that says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And this will be the first in a a very short mini-series of messages called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Because Jesus is the name of the friend who sticks closer than a brother. But before we we come to God's word, I do first of all want to make the case for this series. And I want to say that in in our connected and yet lonely world, we have, as believers, an amazing opportunity before us. And what I mean by that is this, if we will live in the good of friendship with Jesus, with all of the joy and with all of the assurance and all of the freedom that that affords, then we will show to our lost neighbors and friends and colleagues and and co-workers and classmates what they are missing out on. What is available to them in the gospel of Jesus Christ? So much hangs on a daily, real, lively friendship with Jesus Christ. I wonder if you've ever thought about that before. Over the last several decades, there has been a a revival, a, a resurgence, if you will, of what we call expository preaching. That is where preaching exposes the content and the intent of a given passage of Scripture and wherein the point of the passage is the point of the passage of Scripture. And I praise God for that. Uh, I have benefited more than I know through the many books written, the articles typed, the, the lectures delivered, the resources made available. My phone is loaded up with podcasts all about expository preaching, but there is all the difference in the world. Is there not between a sermon delivered by a friend of Jesus Christ and a sermon delivered by someone who isn't? You know that's true, don't you? The man who doesn't walk with Christ, the man who doesn't live in perpetual communion with Christ, he he may have a, a raised voice in the pulpit. He may have an alliterated outline. He may be a master of illustration and and application, but if his soul isn't in the furnace of friendship with Jesus Christ, his sermons are as flat as a pancake. And they're about as useful to souls as a picture of a meal is to hungry stomachs. But when a sermon overflows from a soul that is in fellowship with Jesus, there is an undeniable reality to it. There is a a gravitational pull to it. It it draws people into the wonder of knowing God in and through Jesus Christ. God is on those sermons. But listen, this isn't just a, a challenge to preachers. This is a challenge to all of us because even though we're not all called to preach, we are all called to bear witness for Christ. 
And when we do that, we want the people who hear us to say about us what the religious establishment recognized about the apostles in Acts chapter 4 verse 13, that they had been with Jesus. Such that people may laugh us to scorn, they may, they may argue with us to our face, they may slander us behind our backs, they may seek to push us out of our jobs, but they must be able to smell Jesus on us. And if you are here tonight and you are not yet a Christian, my hope and prayer for you is that God would show you a fraction of the joy that is available in knowing Christ as friend. Yes, as king. Yes, as sovereign. Yes, as savior, but also as friend. The friend that sticks closer than a brother so that you too would say I must have a friend like that I must have him as my friend so how has Jesus been a friend to us then well number one he wounded us he wounded us Proverbs chapter 7 uh, 27 rather verse 6 says this faithful are the wounds of a friend Profuse, that is, many excessive, excessive, are the kisses of an enemy. Please let me read those words again. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse, or many excessive, are the kisses of an enemy. Now, what is Solomon saying there? Well, put very simply, Solomon is saying that a true friend is willing to do whatever has to be done, however unpleasant, for the good of another. An enemy, however, will conceal a problem with whatever makes the other feel good, whether that be kisses or flattery or or empty words or whatever it is. The true friend will use the scalpel to remove the tumor. But the false friend will tell the cancer patient, all is well with you. The true friend will warn, whereas the false friend will cheer as his so-called friend marches to the edge of a cliff, which means, church, the friend that we need isn't always the friend that we want. And the friend that we want isn't always the friend that we need. That's why many of us recoiled from Jesus at first. Isn't it true that, that whenever we found that we got within 100 feet of Jesus, he, he would cut us to the heart. He would wound us and we would walk home bleeding and wounded and offended. We came to Jesus feeling pretty good about ourselves, didn't we? Because perhaps we, we enjoyed a little bit of, of religious observance on the weekend whenever it would work for us. We, we liked looking the part. We liked sounding the part. We liked listening to sermons and, and singing hymns and assuring the person sat next to us that we were praying for them. And so we thought that all must surely be well between us and God. Surely we thought. But then Jesus would speak to us. And Jesus would say things to us like this, all your righteous deeds are like filthy rags. And he wounded us. 
And when we were younger, perhaps, we, we, we just assumed that if our mum and dad who, who loved us were believers, then, then surely we could just hold their hands through the gates of heaven. But then, but then Jesus would speak to us. And he would say things to us like, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And we were wounded and we were offended and we took our ball and we went home. But then came the day and then came the hour when his word, like a double-edged sword, went so far deep into our souls, it removed a disease that we never knew we had. And we saw at long last that all of Jesus' sharp words had only been designed to heal us and to keep us from harm. That he'd only been warning us the whole time because he could see what we could not see. He could see that right just over the precipice of life in this world were everlasting burnings reserved for us. Eternal weeping, eternal gnashing of teeth, a prison cell and chains of gloomy darkness that have been reserved for us and therefore Jesus wounded us as any true friend was would so as to say, no, not that way, this way instead. And it was the devil that flattered us. It was the devil that lied to us. It was the devil that said to us, you shall not surely die. All is well with you. Be your authentic self. Live your truth. Peace, peace as he pulled the rope nearer and nearer to where he was. But it was Jesus, our faithful friend, who loved us enough to wound us so that today we can say what a friend we do have in Jesus and we can exclaim Lord thank you for wounding me thank you for loving me enough to tell me the truth thank you for circumcising my soul and and slicing off that layer of flesh that was around my soul that prevented me from feeling what I needed to feel you remember when we were back in Ephesians chapter 5 and I told, you, I told you all about that couple who were in the process of adopting two boys and they had this visit from one of the staff from the adoption agencies and she had some thoughts to share with them about disciplining and, and raising children and she said to them, never say, never use negative words like no or, or stop or wrong. Instead, just distract them with something else. And if they're throwing a tantrum, don't tell them to stop. Just repeat back to them what it is they want. So if you're in the supermarket and they're, they're throwing a tantrum because they want a cookie, you just say back to them over and over and again, you want a cookie, you want a cookie, you want a cookie. And so this husband said to this, this woman, okay, but, but, but what if though, I can see one of, my, one of these boys running into the street. Should I not say to them, wait, stop, don't go any further? And she said, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I'm saying. Instead, just hold up a red ball and say, hey, look at this red ball. Look at this red ball over here. And when she left, the husband said to his wife, I just get the feeling that if we implement that discipline strategy in 20 years, 
We are going to be stood on a pavement somewhere saying, you just robbed a supermarket. You just robbed a supermarket. You just robbed a supermarket. The parent that a child wants is not the parent that a child needs. And the friend we want isn't always the friend that we need. But Jesus was faithful enough to befriend us anyway and say to us, no, stop, repent, live in me. Why? Because he loved us. And therefore, if you're here tonight and you're not yet a Christian, but you're, you're hearing Jesus' voice speak to you in this moment, my friend, do not harden your heart against him. Listen, I know how unpleasant it can be to have Jesus speak to your conscience. I know what it is to feel the lash of his tongue and the whip of his voice and the cutting power of his words. But friend, one word of his truth is better than 10,000 words of error. And it is the truth that will set you free. And so don't harden your heart when Jesus says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God's. Don't resist his voice when he says to you, the wages of sin is death. Because if you harden your heart to his words, they won't go deep enough into your soul to remove the disease that is in there. And so friend, open your heart to him now as he speaks these words about you, wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And watch him put his finger in your chest and say, the man that you now have is not your husband. And heed his voice that says to you, you are setting your mind on the things of earth rather than the things of God. And hear him say, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And fall at his feet and plead his mercy, and crown him Lord of all. That was just one of the ways in which Jesus loved us in the past. He wounded us. He was the true friend that would not lavish us with false kisses, but instead loved us enough to tell us the truth. But there's a way that Jesus loves us in the here and now, there's a way Jesus loves us in the present. And so second, I want to see this. He remains with us. He remains with us. Jesus' last words to the disciples in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, verse 20, go like this. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Just think about that for a moment. The, the one who wounded us, and warned us of hell, now walks with us to heaven. And all I want to do in the time that I have remaining is put those five words, I am with you always, under the microscope for a few minutes each. Jesus said, I am with you always. Well then, who who is he? Well, he's the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. 
He is the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He's the, the great I am. He is the son of God and the son of man. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the bread of life, the light of the world, the good shepherd of the sheep, the door to their pasture, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life, the true vine and the very Christ of God, which means with him by your side, there is no storm that we will not weather. There is no trial that we won't overcome. There is no hardship that we cannot endure because his omnipotent arms will bear us up. You see that if, if Jesus were no stronger than I am, then this promise would mean very little to us at all. But since all strength is his, since God's strength is his, he will strengthen us. He will help us. He will uphold us with his righteous right hand. And even when you are loaded down with all of your burdens, you will be as light as a feather in your hand. I am with you, Jesus says. But then comes that next word, I am with you always. And how precious that word is. Because isn't it true that in our, in our lowest moments, when we sink under the weight of our burdens, it's then that we begin to doubt whether Jesus is really with us. And it's when, it's, it, that's when the devil comes near to us. He draws near to us, doesn't he? And he says, you see, you're forsaken. You're alone. Jesus has abandoned you. He is, he is not really with you. But Jesus says, I am with you. I am with you wherever you go. I am with you whether you feel it or not. Whether you know it or not, I am with you. And whether you doubt it or not, I am with you. And whether you can see me or not, I am with you. Well then, let Jesus be true though. Every man were a liar. I am with you, says Jesus, and his word is his bond. But then next, Jesus said, I am with you always. And with my easy yoke around your neck, we will tread this field together. And when you are failing, I will lift you because I will be with you. And when you are tempted, I will deliver you because I will be with you. And when you are brokenhearted, I will put you back together because I will be with you. And when you feel like you have lost it all, I will make up all of your lack because I will be with you. And when you're despairing, I will assure you because I will be with you. And when you're abandoned, you won't be abandoned at all because I will be with you. And when you come to die, you will not die alone because I will be with you. And when you tread the verge of Jordan, I will be with you. And I will cross the dark river of death by your side and I will point you to the light that radiates from the celestial city and I will meet you there to welcome you and I will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. You were faithful in, a, in little. I will set you over much. 
And then Jesus says, I am with you always. Despite all your weaknesses, despite all your wanderings, despite all your blind spots, failing sins, lack of affections, despite the manifold ways in which you still stumble and fall and are prone to wander, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you. And even if you you were the only person on planet earth, I would be with you no more and no less. I am with you. And then Jesus says finally, I am with you always. And perhaps that's the best word in these five words. I am with you always. I was with you when you were born again. I will be with you when you come to die. And I will be with you all the days in between. I am with you always. It doesn't get much better than that, does it? Some of you have heard me tell this story before. This is my fourth year with you all now, so I've run out of stories. Have, have mercy on me. But it's about, the, it's about that great missionary, uh, John Patton or Peyton or however you say it, He was hiding all night long up a tree one night from the cannibals of the islands. The missionaries that had gone there before him, they'd been clubbed clubbed and cooked and eaten. And they were now trying to do that with this guy, John, as well. They were hunting for him. And this is what he said about that night. He said, I climbed into the tree and was left there alone in the bush. The hours I spent there live all before me as if it were but of yesterday. I heard the frequent discharging of muskets and the yells of the savages. I sat there among the branches as safe as in the arms of Jesus. Never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly in my soul than when the moonlight flickered among those chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all my heart to Jesus. Alone, yet not alone. And if it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree, to feel again my Savior's spiritual presence, to his enjoy his, his consoling fellowship. And then he challenges us with these words, if thus thrown back upon your soul, alone, all alone in the midnight, in the bush, in the very embrace of death itself, have you a friend that will not fail you then, Well, friend, if you do, then live like it. And let all of your conduct reflect the reality that here is a friend that sticks closer than a brother and is not going anywhere. Don't be overly anxious about the things in your life that you cannot control. Leave all of those things to your faithful friend. And when you have to challenge another believer about sin in his or her life, don't be overly concerned when they resent you. Don't worry about excessive kisses. That's all that Judas had to do with Jesus. You just tell them the truth. And you let Jesus, who sticks closer than a brother, do the work that you could never do in their lives. But friend, if this 
friend is not your friend, then allow me to assure you tonight that you will never find a better friend. Not in earth, not in sky, not in hell. Waste no more time then. Receive him as your best friend tonight, believing that he loved you, that he gave himself for you on the cross to pay the penalty that you could never pay and to give you the gift that you could never deserve. Infinite fellowship and consolation in his presence as the friend who sticks closer than a brother. And may God bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us and then we'll come to sing together.